So let's open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you again for your goodness to us, and uh, thank you for the rain that you sent, and thank you for how you replenish the earth. And uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, you'll bless this day, and uh, we pray that the light of Christ uh, would uh, shine brightly here. We pray that the light of your countenance would shine upon us. We ask you to bless our time in, in your word together now. We ask you to bless our marriages and all the marriages of this congregation, Lord, and equip us uh, with uh, the truths from your word and the directives from your word in uh, improving and strengthening our marriages and our homes. We ask all this with thanksgiving. And we commit this time to you now and all the other Sunday school classes that are taking place uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, we're going to do uh, another week, and actually we'll do, a, it seems pretty clear, uh, we have enough material to do a third week on communication. I think it's important enough, it's uh, kind of central enough that, uh, that it deserves that much attention. Um, as I was going through and preparing this week's lesson, I realized, yeah, I've definitely got uh, a lot more material to cover. So, uh, today we come to part two. I just direct your attention to the quote up at the top of the page. That's from Wayne Mack, who's a uh, uh, teacher and um, counselor. And uh, he, it's, it's uh, a chapter from one of his books that a lot of the material we'll be looking at today is based on. Um, so, th that quote. Welcome. Thanks. Um, he says, wherever you find marital failure, you will find a breakdown in real communication. Wherever you find marital success, you will find a good communication system. Okay, so what we want to look at today are some, just some fundamentals of good communication. And they apply, uh, certainly in marriage, they apply in, in almost any other context as well. But um, certainly we're going to be... Uh, discussing them in the context of marriage. And the first is the, uh, the fundamental of uh, mutual openness and honesty. Uh, it's got to be mutual. It's got to run both directions. And there has to be openness and honesty. And uh, I want to start our discussion of this particular the fundamental on this topic uh, by considering God himself and what we know of him and how what we do know about God, we know because He has revealed it to us. Right? So in Matthew 11.25, uh, Jesus has just gotten done pronouncing curses, essentially, on cities where He had ministered and, the, and His message had been, by and large, rejected. And immediately after that, you know, he's, of course, at this point, uh, he's saying these things, but he's surrounded by his disciples, his followers, uh, those who have listened to his words. And he says in verse 25, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So God has revealed himself to certain ones, and he's, according to Jesus' own words there, he's hidden them from others. Uh, if you flip over to Matthew 16, and verse 17, this is right after Peter's great confession. Remember, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, well, you know, some people say John the Baptist, some people say you're Elijah. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in behalf of the twelve, uh, answers the question. He answers correctly. And in response to that, Jesus says in verse 17 of Matthew 16, uh, Blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so God revealed himself to Simon. That's why he was able to correctly state who Jesus was. God revealed truths to people, and that's why they were following Jesus and didn't reject him. And um, so we've got revelation, special revelation from God, and, and that, that's summed up and that's comprehended really in these books that we have in front of us today. Scripture is the, is the sum total of God's special revelation. Um, but it's not as if that's the only way God reveals himself. Himself, and you know that, and, and, and I knew you'd anticipate this, and that's why I included it in the lesson. But if you look at Romans 1, starting in verse 19, 
It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them, meaning you know, the, just the world at large, the human population at large, is plain to them because God has shown it to, him, to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So what is that saying is another uh, mode or means by which we can learn about God or by which God reveals himself. Looking at creation. Looking at the astounding beauty and complexity and just the wisdom uh, of everything that's been made, everything all around us, that teaches us things about God. But the point is, God, even in his creation, revealed himself. And if he hadn't, we wouldn't know anything about him. Um, okay, so that's the point. Truth about God is only known by his revelation, whether we're talking special revelation or whether we're talking what we call general revelation or natural revelation. Now, that being said, the same is true for interpersonal relationships. For two people to know each other, they have to reveal themselves to one another. They have to open up. So let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then verse 11, if someone would read, please, 1 Corinthians 2.11 for us. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Okay. That's yeah, that's all right. Which one is that? Okay, yeah, good translation. I like it. Um, but the point is, in the first half of that verse, uh, it's, it's discussing this, this reality that, you know, people have thoughts in their hearts, in their minds. There's, there's content inside, and unless that person uh, reveals that to someone else, no one knows it. No one knows what's really in your mind or in your heart unless you share it. I mean, we can guess, and you know, that's kind of why I added that comment uh, on uh, under letter A right there below where you see 1 Corinthians 2.11 on your, on your handout. We can learn things about people, right, just by observing them. Uh, so if, if ever any of you watched that TV show from some time ago called The Mentalist, Anybody familiar with that one? This really brilliant guy. He he. Uh, in you know earlier in life, he'd made a lot of money in circuses, like reading people's you know as a, like a mind reader supposedly. But it's because he was so um, he was obviously extremely intelligent, but he's also very attuned to little things about people, and he could pick up on them. Like he could maybe just read by the way they walk or by the way they express themselves. Uh, this person probably former military, maybe, or uh, and even maybe what branch. Or this person comes from such and such part of a country or does, you know, things what maybe what he does for a living just by observation, you know, and he starts to spit out these things about a person that they didn't reveal to him, and they think, this guy can read minds, right? And, uh, or uh, there's an, another TV show, a more recent one that Hillary and I watched a little bit of recently, where this guy, he's just really, really smart and very, very observant, and by watching someone, talking to them, listening to them, uh, he can pick up on things about them. So, yeah, just by, you know, if you were to, if somebody were to follow follow you around for a whole day and just take notes on your behaviors, where you go, what you do, your actions and stuff. They could learn about you even if you didn't actively seek to reveal yourself. That's true. We know that. Uh, but the point is, <clears throat> observation alone can't create the kind of unity and mutual knowledge that marriage is intended to have. People have to reveal themselves. So for your spouse to know what you need, oftentimes, I mean, beyond just the basics, of course, oftentimes it's necessary for you to reveal that to your spouse. If your spouse, if you want to know or need what, what your spouse desires, what his or her preferences are, they have to be revealed. Just as no one knows God except he reveals himself, uh, your spouse can't know you unless you communicate uh, with your spouse. And why is that important in marriage? Why is it important in, in creating and maintaining unity in marriage? It's because when there are these undisclosed little issues, small though they may be at first, 
If they go unresolved, they accumulate, they grow, they get blown out of proportion, and then they create big problems, even though the problems themselves, uh, the, the root or the, the instigating issues may have been small at first. So uh, number three there, undisclosed, unresolved little issues accumulate or they grow, you know, they fester and they get blown out of proportion. Um, so, in, in the spirit of mutual openness and honesty, sources of irritation should be dealt with promptly and conclusively. Anne's laughing. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I just say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> okay, now here. Uh, how, how do, okay, how do we do it? Uh, uh, there, are, there are a number of ways to deal with things, especially the little ones. You know, and, and I think maybe step one, if, if something's bothering you, something's a source of irritation, or even a source of offense for you personally, step one might be just to, to take some time to think it through and, uh, and analyze the issue on your own, honestly. Right? And so turn with me to 1 Peter 4. And verse 8 speaks to this. Would someone read 1 Peter 4, 8? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Okay, now that verse is spoken to the church as the church, kind of corporately, right? But the principle applies in marriage. And you see that uh, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. Also, remember, we, we looked last week, or was it the week before, at 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter about love, and we'll be going back there again a little bit later this morning, but um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, uh, love is not rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful. And then if you jump over to verse 7, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So if there's, a, if there's a problem, if there's an issue, something that's an irritant in your relationship, uh, I would say uh, thoughtfully and prayerfully ask yourself first, how big an issue is this really? Um, Pastor Mark on occasions has talked about issues within the church. The church at large, or even you know, any any given congregation, and when addressing problems in the church or disagreements in the church, uh, we have to kind of decide where in the hierarchy of disagreements and, and issues this any given problem lies, and and he. Uh, he broke it down on, on, by three categories. The, the biggest one, most important and most foundational issue or category, I should say, is, is prescription. Is the disagreement, whatever it may be, whether it's within a congregation, within a, within a denomination, is it a matter of prescription? Prescription to our standards, prescription to the scriptures, the creeds. You know, so a lot of people who pulled out of the PCUSA finally did so because there were just blatant areas where the PCUSA had completely abandoned God's word. Uh, and so that was an issue of prescription. And they, you know, they, uh, they couldn't get the denomination to, uh, to, to return to a more faithful stance on certain things, and so they had no recourse really but to leave. Prescription. Okay, so that's the big one. That's the foundational one. Um, I don't know if you want to think of this in terms of top-down or from foundation up, but let's, okay, say prescription is up there. That's the important thing, and that's where we really have to be on the same page all the time, no matter what. Uh, One step down from there, the the term Alex uses sometimes is piety. So you got prescription. The scriptures are doctrinal standards, the confession of faith. Down from there, you got piety. Things that maybe those um, articles of our faith, the the scriptures themselves maybe, or uh, especially our our confession, they don't necessarily speak 
really clearly on a certain thing, but is this area of disagreement really a matter of um, is it going to help us live holy lives or is it going to uh, hinder us in our pursuit of holiness? Um, and I might not be articulating these or parsing them out quite the way uh, Alex does, but prescription, piety, and then, and so if something is a matter of piety, then um, we ought to be very careful about how we uh, deal with the issue, you know, and, and be, be zealous to resolve it in such a way that brings honor to Christ and would promote our godliness. But then that last... Uh, finding good examples with that is is tough. Um, uh, but let me just let's see. Yeah. I thought of um, Mike Pence's rule to have her eat dinner with a, another woman was his wife, or he had rules about that. And it's a wise thing to do, but uh, it isn't a prescription. It's definitely a matter of his holiness, maintaining his holiness and That is a good example, and in fact, you know, I think I've shared with you in here uh, in one of the earlier sessions about a, a couple we knew where there was there was there was an adulterous affair involved, uh, and praise God, uh, through the proper channels of church discipline, uh, the uh, the offending party repented, the uh, offended party forgave, and that couple is is happily married to this day. Uh, praise God, um, but based on what I heard about the story, and I was on the session at the time, session of the church, I think, um, uh, the way that thing got started was they were co-workers and they were traveling together and they were having dinner while traveling together on business. And that's kind of what opened the door to the affair. Um, so that might be a matter of piety. You know, a husband and wife sit down and one says to the other honey look I know you're going to be traveling and I know so and so is going to be with you on that trip uh, and I just don't think you should put yourself in a position where you're dining alone with that person and uh, and that that would I think that probably is a really good example of a matter of piety because there's no there's not you can't point to scripture and verse to argue for that but you can certainly argue very strongly on the basis of prudence piety and so forth so uh, so that'd be one example that's maybe not uh, maybe so because there I guess there's a spectrum here right in a certain sense uh, there might be some gray area between prescription and piety and that one probably leans closer to prescription than to piety maybe or it's leans um, so I don't know I encourage you to kind of dwell on you know and and try to think of some examples on your own uh, as it it regards that Um, but then when it comes down to preference um, that you know I think if we think honestly and, and, and really take the time to wrestle through something, an issue, we're, we're eventually going to be able to determine, you know, this is just really something I want. This is just, the, I want it to be this way, and uh, my spouse likes it a different way. You know, like which way you put the toilet paper roll on, you know? That's preference. Uh, and there was a couple that worked with the youth group at my church when I was a youth. This couple that was 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 one of our youth leaders when I was a youth in the church. They were they were kind of confiding or not confiding, really, just sort of telling them on themselves and and how you know when they were newlyweds, the first big fight they had was over that, <laughs> and it was so intense. She said she thought it was going to be divorce just because of the toilet paper thing, you know. But really, that's preference. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I guess I've got to be careful about examples. But, you know, like, in our house, I empty the dishwasher. You know, I have this really OCD way of doing it. You know, and if I happen to run the dishwasher and then I'm not home to empty it, I come home and I realize Hillary emptied the dishwasher for me. Thank you. But she didn't do it the way I do it. <laughs> 100% preference, right? And with stuff like that, 
with stuff like that, we just have to learn to say, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's just not. Um, so, so, so in terms of again, prescription or piety. If it's prescription or if it's piety, it's a matter of obedience to God's word, or it's a matter of the well-being of my soul, or her soul. Um, but if if not, then it's it's probably preference. And in cases of that, I think there's there's a lot to be said. Okay, so you disagree about the toilet paper. You can bring it up. Mention it. Hey, this is not. Uh, but you know, if you can't come to terms and just agree that you're both going to put the toilet paper roll on the same way, you know, life goes on. It really does, and life can go on much more happily if we just learn to to just say, "All right, I, I can I can live without that preference." And we can make decisions like that on a, on a pretty much daily basis. Um, so, all right, so, and, and it's in those cases, it's in those cases that we can just sort of uh, dismiss the thing. We don't have to have a family conference about it. I'm, I'm just going to make the decision to say, I'm not going to let this bother me. I'd much rather dwell in peace with my spouse than, than nitpick about uh, which glasses go in front of the others or, uh, or whatever else. Um, so that's those are occasions when we can just we can just just deal with it, just bear with it, not a problem. If though, this is C letter C number two, if the matter needs to be addressed, if it really does need to be dealt with, here are some principles to follow. And I think based on Matthew eighteen, let's turn there. Now, Matthew eighteen isn't about resolving marital conflict; it's actually about addressing sin in the church. But there's a principle we find there that I think is important. Matthew 18, verse 15. Would someone read that, please? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Thank you. Okay, so... uh, that seems really straightforward and, and basic, but how often do people actually do that? If your brother sins against you, um, he should figure that out and come to you? No. If your brother sins against you, go to him. This, this kind of um, is an expression of an uh, overarching biblical principle of you know, deal with the situation, deal with an issue at the lowest level possible. When I was teaching, uh, and I was involved in the in the fine arts department, you know, and you know, sometimes things happen in the arts department that parents didn't like. And what I found is parents very rarely came to my office and said, "Hey, Mr. Walton, I want to talk to you about something. Uh, we're not so sure. We're thrilled with this." play you guys have chosen to do this year or or uh, I was I was kind of offended by that that number your choir sang you know they sang in Latin and that's Roman Catholic and they don't want any part of that you know or whatever you know um, uh, people almost never did that what did they do they called the headmaster <laughs> you know they couldn't call the head of department because I was it so they they'd go to the guy over me and, you know, they express their concern about what Mr. Walton's doing you know, or what's going on in the fine arts department. They don't come to me. But that, the, principle, the biblical principle is if you've got an issue with someone, go to the person. Right? And that's, again, I acknowledge, uh, and, and you need to understand that Matthew 18 is about dealing with sin in the church. But the principle of going to the person and taking the initiative applies in marriage as well. So what happens is, husbands and wives both do this. There's an offense given, and they kind of uh, put the onus on the other person to realize that what they did or what they said was wrong, and then to come and apologize. And they're going to stand there until they do it. But that's not the biblical principle. The biblical principle is go to them. Speak to them. If you're the offended party, speak to the offender. Take the initiative. Please. You know, you talk about if you're in the marriage context, you know, if your spouse 
sins against you, you go and show them the fault. But you know, in our marriage, um, you know, there may be plenty of times where Heather has done something that I've gotten angry about, and I can't certainly. If I get angry, that's my sin. That's not her sin. So a lot of times we like to think, well, I was made, I was made angry, therefore that person must be the one who's a. It's about them. It's not about me. But I always got to remember, it's about me, and the anger is my sin. It's not well. You did something, and the only way I could possibly have reacted to that was in an angry manner. Therefore, it's your fault. Uh, no, it's my fault. Every time I get angry in my life, whether it be with my spouse or a friend or a coworker, the anger is on me. It, it's not on her. Um, and so that's, I think, that Matthew 18, again, it's, it's specifically saying if you see them sin, then, yes, you address the sin. But a lot of times my, my wife will do something that's not a sin. It's, it makes me sin. I, I shouldn't even say that correctly. I sin as a result of it. Uh, and then I come at her, you know, like, ah, oh, you made me angry. But uh, my approach should be, I was, I, I've sinned. Uh, I'm showing you my faults. Uh, and now let's talk about, you know, what, uh, uh, what, what was the, you know, the reason for my sin? Yeah, very good it's point. All about, you know, I, I enter the conversation, or I enter the discussion as the, as a sinner. The self-accused. As sinned, and not because of what she did that, you know, causes sin to will up. So you come as your own accuser, yeah, in a I sense. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what I think is probably the best way to pull that yeah. principle out of Matthew 18. That's a great point. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, if you've been offended, or if, you know, and, and let's bring it down a notch. If you're irritated and you realize this isn't something you can sit on or it's not something you can just sort of dismiss, go to the person. Okay, that's letter A. Letter B is do it thoughtfully. Do it prayerfully and lovingly turns me to the book of proverbs and we're going to see some good stuff in proverbs today but today we'll uh, for, uh, right now we'll start in chapter 16 and verse 23 a man finds joy in giving an apt reply and how good is a timely word. Thank you. Is that the right one? Uh, well, sixteen twenty-three. Actually, it kind of relates, but um, the sixteen. Yeah, yeah. A wise man's heart guides his mouth, and his lips promote instruction. Okay. Thank you. And. Um, uh, the way the ESV puts it, uh, his speech adds persuasiveness to his lips. Okay, so uh, that wise man probably didn't just blurt out what first came into his head. He probably took time to think about what to say and how to say it. And so, and that's going to be more persuasive than just something you say off the cuff or in a huff. Um, Ecclesiastes 12. By the way, I'm just going to put out an advertisement for my next series. After I get done with the Minor Prophets, I'm going to preach through Ecclesiastes. So, I'm looking forward to that. But Ecclesiastes 12, verse 10 says, uh, The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Uh, who's the preacher? Solomon, right? Uh, what do we know about Solomon? Well, not all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what do you? Uh, <laughs> he was. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, in fact, you know Solomon had some. Solomon had some native advantages to begin with because he was the son of David, and David uh, was a man after God's own heart. Not a perfect man by a long shot, but he was. He loved God. He knew God's word, and Solomon grew up with that. But in addition to that, remember, God appeared to Solomon and says, uh, what do you want me to give you? And he asked for an understanding mind. And as a result of that, Scripture says that Solomon was given wisdom beyond any wisdom that anyone else had ever had or ever has had. So I've always, I, to this day, I think Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived, save the Lord Jesus himself. Um, and it says of Solomon, the preacher, that he sought to find words of delight. Now, I don't think by this time, especially in Ecclesiastes, uh, I don't think he's just coasting on wisdom that he's stored up in his heart and just kind of uh, spits it out. He, he made an effort uh, 
to find the words that were most appropriate. And if Solomon did that, then it's probably good for us to do that as well. So as you get ready to address an issue, think about what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. Um, And then for, for both parties, the offended party or the irritated party who comes to the other and that other person both, uh, and here's, here's a crucial uh, principle of uh, good communication related to mutual openness and honesty, both be ready and willing to discuss the matter and to endeavor to resolve it. You, you don't want to have, now we talked last week about taking timeouts when we need them, and I think that's valid, but you, you don't want to have an attitude of, I'm just not willing to discuss this, I'm not willing to talk about it, I'm not willing to deal with it. Not a, not an attitude that just walks away and says, I won't discuss this. All right, so openness and honesty. And uh, here are a couple of biblical principles under letter D. Biblical pr- principles related to openness and honesty. And the first seems self-evident, but uh, speak the truth, meaning make sure that what you're saying really is true. Make sure you got your facts straight. Uh... Ephesians 4. Let's go there together. Ephesians 4, verse 15. You know, this is an expression that we know very well. Even if you can't recite this verse from memory, I know you know this, this phrase. Rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Speak the truth in love. Uh, Those things go together. Uh, They're both, um, uh, they're they're mutually uh, uh, dependent. We can't just speak in love without speaking the truth. And at the same time, we can't speak the truth without speaking it in love. We need to do both. Uh, so in, with tremendous economy of words, there's, there's lots of instruction jammed into that little phrase. Speak the truth in love. In other words, as, as it relates to what we're talking about right at the moment, make sure that what you speak is true. And that's one of the things you can kind of hash through during that time that you're prayerfully thinking things over. Uh, and then in verse 29 of the same chapter, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such such talk, that is, only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And uh, as difficult as it may be at times, even bringing our concerns, bringing our complaints, bringing our irritations uh, needs to be done in such a way that it doesn't tear down or corrupt, but it builds up. Okay, so speak the truth, get your facts straight. Uh, number two, avoid hurtful, destructive words. This relates to the previous, relates to speaking the truth in love. But uh, as you do that, avoid hurtful, destructive words. Speak in a helpful and a constructive way. Does someone have 1 Corinthians 8 1? Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Okay, thank you. So, in terms of those facts that we want to be sure we have, if you're just uh, dealing with the facts but not expressing them in love, that's the kind of knowledge that puffs up. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And in our um, uh, very familiar passage on love, in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter begins with these words, If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In most couples, one or the other is more gifted at articulating their thoughts. And that person who's maybe more capable in terms of speaking uh, might get the upper hand in an argument just because they express themselves more clearly. And it's not that the other person can't express themselves, it's just that there's always usually at least some disparity in in that department, right? And so uh, you can be the greatest orator in the world and say something that's unloving 
So that's kind of how I apply verse thirteen, uh, verse one of chapter thirteen in marriage. Oh, you, well, you can you can make your case to your spouse, and you can speak with the tongues of men and angels. But if you have not love, it's just yeah. So, um, and then also in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, a reminder once again, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. And then verse, you know, the sentence finishes with those first two words in verse 5. It's not arrogant or rude. Um, so that's number two. Avoid hurtful, destructive words. Speak in a helpful and a constructive way. Uh, number three, consider the timing. Consider the timing. Let's go back to Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season. How good it is. You can say the right thing, and you can say it in the right way. But you can say it at the wrong time. Think about that. Just give thought to it. I, I don't mean to make it sound or as if communication is such a land a minefield that man, you can almost say nothing without transgressing some principle of good communication. That's not the the uh, the message I'm trying to send out here. But I am saying that the, as you consider what to say, how to say it, consider whether or not it's the right time as well. In that same chapter, verse 28. Uh, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. So that almost kind of suggests some, some taking of, the, of time to reflect uh, on how to answer. And look at the next half of the verse in that uh, brilliant example of, of uh, uh, contrasting Hebrew parallelism. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Just pours out. Just keeps going, keeps going. Um, also in Proverbs, if you flip over to chapter 25, we've got verses 11 and 12. Does somebody have those? Be willing to read them? Thank you. It's like apples of gold in settings of silver, like an earring of gold or an ornament of kind of a wise man to a listening ear. Thank you. Yeah, you heard the expression when it comes to uh, to public speaking that uh, the right word. I gotta see if I can. Uh, almost the right word compared to the just the right word is like a firefly to a bolt of lightning or something like that um, and you know that puts a lot of pressure on speakers so I don't like that expression but um, uh, but you see the, the idea a word fitly spoken it's 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 beautiful it's like apples of gold in a setting of silver so again um, consider the timing Ecclesiastes 3 7 I'm, I'm really excited about preaching through Ecclesiastes but you know Ecclesiastes 3 it talks about there's a time for everything right for everything there's a season and down there in in that chapter <coughs> excuse me verse 7 uh, second half of the verse there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak and uh, wisdom helps us discern what time it is um, number four, guard your heart. Think about uh, your mindset. Noah uh, spoke to us about this uh, 
very aptly just a moment ago when he's talking about his own anger. You know, uh, guard your heart, consider your attitude and your mindset. Um, you know, and if uh, if you're in an agitated state, it might not be the best time. You know, if, if it might be urgent and needs to be addressed, but otherwise, it could be that if if you're kind of in the wrong frame of mind, it's not the best time to to say something about an issue. Uh, Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And again, many of these verses we're looking at are, are spoken in, in the immediate context to Christians in general regarding how they live together as Christians in general. But the principles certainly apply, and if they apply to Christian fellowship uh, as a whole, or, or in, the, in the broader sense, then they certainly apply to marriage, because there is no closer relationship of fellowship uh, than that. So these, uh, these things that talk about how we're to behave, how we're to live in the, in the, in the Church of Christ, which is the household of the living God, and it certainly applies to our own households individually as well. 1 Corinthians 16.14 Let all that you do be done in love. I don't see any qualifiers or limiting parameters on that. Just stands alone. That's the whole verse right there. Let all that you do be done in love. And Titus three two. Does someone have that? To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Okay. Thank you. So, um, speak evil of no one, be gentle. And that perfect courtesy, you know, uh, I think we have a tendency to think of courtesy as something we show in, in public. Whereas at home, that's where I get to let my hair down, I get to kick my feet up and just be myself and shouldn't have to be worried about how I express myself. But I, I'm not sure that's uh, uh, true, at least not all the time. I think... Uh, we ought to think more about being courteous to those of our own household. Um, and then finally, pray about the situation and trust God to help you. you know, there's a certain trepidation involved in going to someone, uh, even someone that you love, even someone that you're close to, maybe especially someone that you're close to, and, and addressing a problem. Uh, so pray about it. Ask God for help. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And what will He do? Direct your paths. Make them straight. Right. Okay. So, um, those are some biblical principles related to open honesty and openness uh, in our communication. We are down to five minutes, and I've still got two Roman numerals to go, so we're not going to make it through this even, much less uh, any other material I might have tried to include today. But um, let's just get a, a running start into Roman numeral two, self-control. How many of you ever at any point in your life have memorized the fruit of the Spirit? It's a great couple of verses to memorize. Um, in fact, I was going to do it passage from Exodus 34 where God reveals his glory to Moses for the next because we're finishing in the, in the memorization uh, plan we finished Psalm 1 this week and uh, was going to go on to this passage from Exodus but maybe fruit of the spirit is a better thing to do next let me know what you think about that um, but self-control in fact, that's, as you go through the list, there's nine things that comprise the fruit of the Spirit. And the last one is self-control. And Scripture commands us uh, in James 1.19 uh, to be slow to anger. In fact, the way James puts it, he says, he says Know this, let every one of you Cross the board, no qualifications, no exemptions. Let every one of you be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. 
I gave you some verses there in Proverbs that you can look at on your own, but you know, and if you've even read Proverbs one time, you know it says a lot about anger and the pitfalls that anger creates. And, uh, and frankly, I, I had a classmate in high school who had a bad temper, and he's very proud of his temper. You know, he's very proud of his, his uh, ethnic heritage, and part of that ethnic heritage, as far as he was concerned, was he's got a quick temper, and he was just sort of, uh, he thought that was just you know, who he is, and he would talk about it a lot. His temper was just part of him, and you just need to deal with it. But what Scripture says is that a quick temper is a character flaw, and we have to repent of it and put it to death. Because the fruit of the Spirit includes patience, it includes kindness, it includes gentleness, and it includes self-control. And the reason I included that, even this sort of partially already stated in your outline, is because I wanted us to be reminded that this is fruit of the Spirit. You know, this isn't what comes to us naturally. What comes naturally to us is that hot temper and that impatience and so on and so forth. Uh, but as the Spirit dwells in us and renovates us, reforms us in the image of Christ, self-control uh, is part of the package, along with these other things. So um, we're, we're down to three minutes, and rather than try to go any further, I just thought I'd open it up and see if there's any questions or comments that any of you all have to make. My comment is, why can't we drop it here and pick up there next week and we'll just do that each week if we don't finish? That's what we'll do. <laughs> that way you don't have to leave this out and rush and then we'll just pick up there. Oh yeah, we'll definitely cover this. Yeah, but thank you. Thanks for affirming that. And uh, so I'll make up a new handout for next week, but we'll finish this first before we move on. So... Let's say you discuss it, think about it for about, and then you discuss it, and it's settled. But then it seems like the same thing happens over and over again. Do is it like forgiving seventy times seven, and then you just keep doing that, and you sit down and you discuss it again because soon it becomes nagging in somebody's eyes. And I'm not really sure how to. I mean. <coughs> With the smaller things, I know you just let them go, and you figure out what's important, what's not important. Is it going to, you know, or is it? So if one party doesn't really just says, "Okay, <laughs> sorry, I don't know how to do this." I'm having marriage counseling here. <laughs> but if it, it, if, if it keeps. I think, I think um, number one, continue to communicate about it. Um, and then as you do, you know, maybe one of you or both of you will gain clearer insight into the underlying issue. And, uh, and then you might be able to move closer to a resolution. Um, sometimes, you know, we, and, I, and I appreciate your sensitivity about nagging because you don't want to do that. But, um, you know, if, if you've talked it over and it seems as if a, a point of resolution has been reached and then the issue uh, comes up again, whatever it may be, you know, these are kind of difficult to deal with in abstraction. I'm not asking you to divulge any particulars, but... Um, uh, uh, if it if it continues to come up, then that may lead you to. Um, I, now I lost my train of thought. But but basically, um, if it comes up again, that might be used of the Holy Spirit to work in the heart of of the other person to, and convict them. And uh, you know, with a, with a stronger sense of that conviction, maybe then there will be improvement. Problem, so I can just pray about it and 
wait for the Holy Spirit. I trust because if, if you're in Christ, He's working. I think that's all we can do in that, that kind of situation. I mean, we could keep nagging, but it doesn't help. Usually not, yeah. Um, did you? Some things never go away. You, they never get resolved, really. Except in the way that one party decides to just live again. Which is part of what you And, you know, and, and, and it kind of just goes away when he's being an irritant. You know, once in a while you say, try. But it, when you've been married a long time, you just, there are a lot of things you just, that just sort of resolve themselves through praying, through talking, through having other things that are positive in your life be there. I just found it kind of well, like you said, counseling. Yeah, thing. it just it's just kind of an encouragement by me for people who haven't been married very long. Because yeah. if you love each other and you do do some work at it, you're gonna be bad as the devil at times. Yeah. And, and if it is a sin issue, like Hillary pointed out, if it really is genuinely actual sin issue, then the, 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 the offending party needs to, uh, needs to repent, needs to be trying to deal with that sin. And, and you know, as Scripture commands us, we need to put to death sin in our lives, put to death the deeds of the body. Um, uh, I guess as you continue to work through it, as any couple continues to work through a problem, if, the, if, uh, if they find that yes, this is genuinely sin issue, it's creating problems in our marriage, and we're not able to, to uh, resolve this on our own, then, you know, maybe there is a point to, to bring someone else in, bring a counselor in, bring a pastor in. And that's what we're for. Uh, and it doesn't mean, you know, you know, there's such a stigma uh, about, you know, mental health, you know, and people have mental health issues, but they don't want to seek help because they think there's a stigma involved. Well, there, it's the same thing a lot of times with marriage counseling. You know, people think, oh, if people find out I'm in counseling, they're going to think, oh, their marriage is on the rocks and it's going to look bad. That's not the case. I mean, you just you know, reach out for, for a little bit of help. That's you know that's what we're here for to help one another. It doesn't even have to be a counselor or a pastor. If you can mutually agree on it, you know, talk to another couple, do it together. Uh, I wasn't talking about sin issues. I was just talking about daily life. Like things that come up. I'm just saying now. All right. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Um, but we are over time now, so uh, let's, let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are so patient with us. We thank you that uh, you're gentle with us and you deal with us in tremendous compassion. Uh, help us to remember that as we deal with our brothers and sisters in Christ and especially as we deal with our spouses. Uh, bless us as we continue on through this, um, this study and let it be to our benefit and ultimately, most of all, let it be to the glory and, save, uh, and honor of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.